turns out there are other things we can actually talk about this offseason now that the Guardians have finally found their manager, but we we'll forced to talk about one coaching move. That's going to make me sad. You are Locked On Guardians, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. It's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com to get started. Now that I've said that, I'm walking out because of this coaching news. I will see you all later. Bye, Justin. I refuse to accept this. I'm going to quit. I I didn't even want to do the show today, okay? I didn't want to do this today after the news. All right, look. Somewhere out in the universe, I don't know how time travel works or the space-time continuum works, but somewhere out there in, in 2005, 15-year-old me, and I can let you can guess how old I am based on that, but somewhere out there, 15-year-old me is throwing a temper tantrum and refusing to watch baseball ever again because he found out that both Grady Sizemore and Jim Tomey now work for the Chicago White Sox and... Thank God Jose Ramirez signed an extension to stay in Cleveland because it, for, for me, like the top three Guardians slash Indians, whatever all time, are Jim Tomey, Grady Sizemore, and Jose Ramirez. If Jose Ramirez had left and he gone, went to the White Sox to replace his buddy Tim Anderson, I don't think I can go on. I think I would just have to give up baseball. That was hard enough to see. The White Sox hired Grady Sizemore as a major league coach to work with the outfielders in Chicago. I don't know. Okay, the only, the only way I can accept this, Jeff, is because last year you and I tried very hard to to see if we could corral an interview with Grady Sizemore because his name was popping up because he was working for the Diamondbacks. Yeah, except um, his, like this is his second year in coaching, is it not? Yeah, it's a, well. I mean, he did like some spring training stints with Cleveland, and yeah. this is like his. I think this is his second or third full year as like a a full time instructor of sorts. So we tried to track him down to do an interview last year. It didn't work. Maybe maybe the fact that he is now going to be at least coaching for the White Sox when they play in Cleveland will make him more accessible to an interview. I don't know. That's like the only sliver I can hang on to in this bit of news. Otherwise, otherwise I might have to quit quit baseball and quit this podcast. Some people might like that. I don't know. <laughs> that was very devastating news for me to find out today, though. Yeah, it was. It was rough. It was very rough. Uh, before like, before anybody comments, I want to get ahead of this. Oh, Gertie Sizemore was always injured with the Guardian with Cleveland. Before the injuries, go look. The injuries happen. The injuries are what the injuries are the last thing you remember about him. But he played almost 162 straight games for like what three or four straight years. Yeah. He was a Gold Glover. He was a Silver Slugger. Which hey, we're going to talk about those today. And he was an All Star. He was on track to be a Hall of Famer. He played. One, he was two, what this three, every player, what every fan wants them to have now. Yeah, he's a power hitting outfielder. He's he's a five two out two outfielder. Like he's exactly what Cleveland could use right now. So yeah, that's just that's even more depressing is the fact they don't have a Grady Sizemore right now, and 
that he also works I mean, for a rival. For a long time, well, until also, that year where Napoli and Santana both hit 30 home runs, Grady Sizemore was the was the answer to the trivia question. Who was the last Guardians player to hit 30 home runs? Yeah. yeah. So before you make any comments saying he was always hurt, no, no. He was he was Mike Trout before Mike Trout. But his his comps in baseball reference in terms of age related data, uh, his two most, uh, you know, significantly, you know, and yes, that is a very flawed system. But it was Duke Snyder and Barry Bonds, just to give you some some company and some numbers. Uh, he was he was on a hall hundred for the rest of my life. And I know I've talked about this before him and then Braden Webb, who got hurt about the same time with Arizona or Brandon Webb. Yeah. The pitcher like both those guys were entering their peaks. And then that was essentially it. There was nothing after that. I know there was for size more, but like, not really like those injuries were just, they decimated him. And you know, it, I'll throw Ben, Ben sheets in there too. Remember Ben sheets. He was, I think he similar was, to good. Brandon Webb. But he had, I think, a, I feel I like think he had, he had a, the same injury problems at the end. Bit, yeah. It's like, he just kept getting hurt with the weird thing with Webb and Sizemore is that like where sheets had a lot of years of like injuries, like those two guys were like, fine they had no injury issues and then the wheels just fell off mm-hmm. um, and it. for the, for the rest of my life it's like grady sizemore is going to be one of the five best hitters i saw as a fan of the cleveland guardians he's going to be up there like him and and albert bell are, are two of the first two that come to mind with jose like that's that's kind of my 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 top three i think which might be second you know what that is my top three this is an argument too to don't over use and overextend jose ramirez get hit get that i know he doesn't want to rest make and the guardians rest. don't yeah the guardians don't necessarily have a lineup at this point that can afford him to play 140 <laughs> games instead of 162 or whatever but get the man some rest get the man some help get the man some rest so we don't have to you know experience a size, a size more like decline anytime soon even though there might be one coming but that's that's a story for another day uh one of the things we didn't get to yesterday on, on the Stephen Vogt news was um, how much of the staff is going to stick around. We already know that Mike Sarbaugh is gone. We know that Mark, Mike Barnett's gone. We know that Rico Beltran is gone from the bullpen. So, you know, maybe they'll promote somebody to, from internal for the bullpen role. They've got a number of internal pitching people that I, I really like that I think have a chance. Um, the real question here is going to be, what the, the big three, I guess, are Carl Willis, Chris Faleka, and Marlo Hale. Because Stephen Vogt did that interview with Chris Rose. I think it was last year. Maybe no, it could have been because he just started that program this year. But the Chris Rose show, he you know was talking to Vogt about how he would handle things as a manager, and he was like, "Well, I, I think I need to have smart people around me, and I I need to ex- surround myself with experience because I would be inexperienced if I was a manager and all those things." So I think he gets that. So I I wonder. You know, DeMarlo Hale's been in baseball quite a long time. Tito trusted him. I wonder if, if Vogue keeps him around. But the, the two things that are most interesting to me right now with the what coaches will or will not stick around is Carl Willis did the exit interviews this year, I think with the pitchers at the very least, if not more. So, you know, why would why would the front office allow Chris uh, – Chris, why would they allow Carl Willis to be a big part of the exit interviews and helping pitchers plan for the offseason if he wasn't going to be back next year? And then Chris Valleca. Because maybe they had no other option. Especially well, if they're going to let go of Beltran, then who else are you going to even have but, if Tito's out? 
but why wouldn't you try to do something different if if, if you weren't sure he was going to come back? And then Chris Valleca, <laughs> you don't Chris, have any other options if you're not letting and, if you know you're letting Beltron go. Who else? I mean, you're gonna have a roving pitching coordinator. I mean, who knows them? You're gonna still have, like we've seen organizations. I, I don't think that that that's necessarily a you know a silver bullet situation that he is definitely coming back. I think in in this case, you look at the Occam's Razor. Why did they have him do that? Because they don't have a manager, and he knew those players best. Like the simplest explanation is. He's who they had on hand. Maybe. I, I don't know. I, I do think they do like Willis. He's done a good job, and the pitching has been good under him, and, and they have a lot of young pitchers who would benefit from some continuity. And the Chris Valeka thing is a little more interesting, too, because they interviewed him for the manager's job. And I know you might say, like, well, that was out of courtesy, whatever. But still, are you going to, you know, imagine you're, you're interviewing for a role at any job, and – you and somebody else are up in the same role. And this person has, you know, this person has less experience than you. And they offer the other person the job and the other person comes to you and says, Hey, I know I got the job that uh, you and we both interviewed for, but how would you like to work under me with less experience? Like I, 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 and I know baseball's not in this way. It's not similar to other jobs. So it's hard to, to completely compare to this, but I, I kind of wonder like, if they interviewed Chris Flake and he didn't get the job, is he really going to want to come and stay here under somebody else who got the job over him and technically does have less experience? Like that might be weird, right? It probably be a little, but I also don't think he has the ability to, to you know, to, uh, you know, I just, I think he's kind of stuck, right? Like if he doesn't, if he doesn't play nice, where else is he going to go? Like, he's just not in a great situation right now. Um, and we'll see. Like, I mean, I'm very curious to see what this is going to look like in terms of the overall uh, assembling of a staff. Cause you know, we talked about yesterday, it felt like part of the reason they probably liked vote was a, uh, you know, a, a holistic approach, right. That this is going to be all of them working together to field field the staff, put things together. But at the same time, if, you know, how much input and like, where does he want to go with it? And, like he, he just doesn't know as many people. It, it's going to be very fascinating. It really is. I don't know. I, I think that Willis will be back. That's just my, that's my, just a guess. I don't know about the Laker or Hale. I would not be surprised if Willis is back. That's the only thing I would really, I don't have any inside information on that, but I'm just throwing a guess out there that you out, of all, out of all three of them. Uh, Justin said that Carl Willis will be back. He guarantees it. Yeah. Well, we'll find out Friday. At, at, I think the in the press conference will have some other staffers named. I'll be very curious to see who joins him. But continue to join us here on Lockdown Guardians. We got much more to come on award season, roster fodder, and the GM meetings are going on. Anything else going to happen there? No. Before we get into roster situations, uh, score early with the NFL this season with FanDuel. America's number one sports book right now. New customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. So right now, uh, looks like the money line is plus 200 on the Browns for Sunday. I don't think that'll change too much. I think that should, should be about the same. We'll see what happens with the injury, injury report. But, uh, yeah, that's an interesting way. They're, they're plus six, too, as well. But, well, that thing you want is the money line bet. If you are a new FanDuel customer, 150 bucks. If your five dollar money line bet wins, if you are a new FanDuel customer, so now is a good time to get in on the action with FanDuel. If you're not already, the app's easy to use. 
we have a wide range of betting options. So if you're not into the money line thing, you don't trust yourself making that bet and you're not taking advantage of the free money, I guess, with 150 bucks, uh, you can also bet spreads, player pops, props, overs, overs, unders, more, all that good stuff. So visit FanDuel.com slash lockdown to kick off the NFL season. FanDuel is an official partner of the NFL. We also, I don't know if we glossed over award season, but we we had a lot of other things to talk about because for it, what felt like 80 days, we had nothing to talk about but manager stuff because that was the only thing that was going on and other moves were embargo. But uh, award stuff happened. Some of it matters. Some of it matters a little bit less. I think, uh, what was it, Jose Ramirez was the only silver slugger nominee for Cleveland, which is interesting because I was, I meant to get to this on, I think the solo show I did last week, but probably could argue. I, I, I don't think he's going to win. Probably could have made an argument for Josh Naylor at first base because Nathaniel Lowe got nominated and Nathaniel Lowe had, had a pretty, pretty significantly less batting line, less WRC plus, less homers. And I think less RBI than Josh Naylor. Like, I, I don't think Josh Naylor was going to win first base, because it's just a hard position to win that at, but could have made an argument he should have been a finalist. I don't think Jose Ramirez winds up getting that one, though, but you know, no. not a not but a very again, consequential was, award, anyway. It was it was a year for the old guard to kind of fall apart. We, you know, probably won't get too much into the qualifying offers either, but, you know, Matt Chapman, you and I were, I mean, there's never one thought he was going to get the qualifying offer, but it's going to be interesting what offer he gets in free agency because it's like Matt Chapman, Jose Ramirez, that that guard of third baseman. You know, we saw um, Gunnar Henderson kind of being part of that new grouping, but the the older guard did not have a strong. Well, had a bit of a disappointing year. Yeah, they kind of did. It was not a not a good one. And then, so he's the only silver slugger. We didn't want to talk about gold gloves, but Quan and Jimenez both got gold gloves. No, not really a shock to anybody. No, there and again. Not saying okay, I'm not saying for the players it's not consequential because I'm I'm sure there's like some sort of money bonus that comes along with that or 100%. something. I'm sure so, if we dug into the contracts, we'd find it. Yeah, I mean, good for them for getting that. Quan deserved it, and Jimenez definitely deserved it. The question though with those two is this you've got two gold glovers who are adding, you know, whether whether or not you believe the word is is consequential and it can be accurately quantified or, you know, we, we believe the defensive numbers cause they're always changing and they're always evolving, which again, I'd also encourage people to listen that just because numbers are different doesn't mean they were wrong. It just means that they learn more information. That's how science works. Um, do you risk the defensive value they bring to your team? Because, there's a scenario next year or in the next couple of years, however this works out, because for the time being, you know, Andre Semenis is locked up for however, what, six more years, seven more years possibly, and, and Stephen Kwan is still under club control too for a couple more years. They're going to be here. They're going to be, you know, pieces to this organization to, to, to build along with. I don't want to say build around because they're not necessarily cornerstones. But the rambling here it leads me to say, do you risk eventually moving them off their positions? Because – in theory, it'd be great to have Stephen Kwan in center field, right? Because Miles Straw is not really is not a good hitter. Opens if up left translates. field for the possibility. That's one of those hard right. translations well, where it's like 
this is my question. This is my question. So, mm-hmm. do you risk the defensive defensive value you get moving Quan to center and moving Andres Jimenez to shortstop if it comes down to that? Because like there's a scenario where Jimenez plays short and Juan Brito plays second, or you know Tyler Freeman. However, this works out, right? Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if if Andres Jimenez is a better shortstop defensively than than Brian Rocchio. Not probably not Gabby Gabby Arias, but we don't know if he's going to hit, but. Do you risk the defensive value they bring to the team to move them up the defensive spectrum because both of them have previous experience at those positions, more more probably specifically Jimenez? Well, with Jimenez, I feel like he can legitimately be good at it. So, like, I am more willing to, like, put it – like, we, we have data to show that he is a, a plus shortstop based on, you know, what has occurred in the past and how he's performed there. The thing with Quan was in the minors, he was kind of more of an average defensive center fielder by reports and people who saw him. So he's going from maybe the best defensive left fielder to an average center fielder. And nowadays that like defensive line between or offensive line, I should say between those positions is not as big as it used to be. So it's like, he might be significantly less valuable if you move him out of left because he no longer has a plus trait, right? Like the defense is a plus plus trait right now. You put him in center then it's an average bat, average glove. That's still fine. But, um, you know, that's why kind of teams like Tampa went and added guys like Jose Siri, where they could get that plus defense, but also get, you know, some, some plus tools or, or take a risk on some, some bigger upside. Is Cleveland better off with Stephen Kwan? I mean, you know, you said he doesn't have another plus tool. He really, really doesn't. But the thing you're getting out of Stephen Kwan besides defense is OBP because he makes a lot of contact. He gets the ball in play, and he can walk some, too. He's got a good bat- batting eye at the plate. So OBP is really what you're you're hoping yeah. for with Kwan. That he, and the defense obviously factors in here. Is Cleveland better off, though, by benching Miles Straw and making him a defensive replacement pinch runner and sacrificing the defense in center field because if he's an average center fielder, that's fine. Like average is still pretty good. Like I know, I don't know this. There's two, two ways of looking at this. Would you rather have the average bat average defense in center field, get rid of the negative offense and miles straw, potentially add a plus bat in left field that makes up for that. You know, you're, you're improving two positions offensively, right? You're hopefully improving left field offensively and you're, improving center field offensively you could still use miles straw as a defensive replacement it's not that big of a drop off or you know is 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 this a team that has to play the plus defender because they don't have the bats but if you add the bat in left field you don't have to worry about that and you still get the plus defense out of straw because let's face it he's not going anywhere anyway so you might as well i I would say like we talked about it i know it's a sunk cost but in this is all this is all in practice and theory obviously but if you can add a plus bat in left field and you get the average defense in center field, you're still paying a straw anyway. You know, you can get the plus defense when you need it most in the game. Yeah. I basically I think what this comes down to is Stephen Kwan isn't good enough to block anyone. Stephen Kwan is a connector piece. He is a he is a he's a solid piece, but he's just he is a piece and he can play a few different spots and he can be fine. So his position depends on depends on what you can add. Like that's all it is. Like where he plays depends more on what you can bring in and less on Stephen Kwan. Stephen Kwan is a, is a piece you can be reactionary with. Um, if I know center fielders are typically harder to find, but if you can find a center fielder, great. You keep him left. If you can find a right fielder, Hey, and you 
you know, the important thing is getting straw out. So like if you have him in center, okay, you take that hit. It does lessen his overall value. I know people will be like, that's not what you said. I'm just saying his best value is going to be in left field. That's where he's going to be the biggest contributor, but you need two new outfielders right now. If you think this team can contend and it's wherever you can find them. Like I, he's on, you know, he's threw out a bunch of guys. I know it's not the strongest arm, but you could probably even get away with him and right. Like he's accurate enough that I bet it could work out. You know, it's like how many throws are there where that's really going to be like a game breaker. So it's like it, it, Stephen Kwan is part of this team. He's going to be strictly average on the grand scheme of things because he has no power. He hits on base at a good rate. He's a solid defender. So it's just finding those secondary pieces. That's the important thing because that, that determines what you do with Kwan. It's not about Kwan. It's not about what you have. Nothing is about what you have. It's about what you can get. Agree. He can just move wherever you need him to move in the outfield, and you just put him there, and you upgrade the outfield by however means necessary. And that does not mean external. That could be internal too. It just depends on how strongly Cleveland feels about their internal options. We have a lot of very views on those. And real quickly too, Tanner Bybee, uh, Rookie of the Year finalist. Not a shock there. Uh, I'm going to say he finishes in second. Gunnar Henderson is is the heavy favorite. Mm-hmm. And then Tristan Cassis of the Red Sox made the final list. A little surprised. Look at that. I talk, I think we talked a lot about Josh Young from the Rangers being on there because he was having a great year and he was the all-star starter at third base. Didn't make the final three. So I'm, I'm going to say Bobby finishes in second. Yes. And then a lot to talk about there this offseason if that happens and how Cleveland approaches a contract extension with him. So stay tuned for future episodes on that and stay tuned to Lockdown Guardians. We talk about the future of the 40 man roster because next week is the rule five deadline. Everyone's favorite. All right. Rule five deadline is November 14th. The rule five draft is not until December 6th. Uh, we talked about the rule five already. We, we were talking about, we talked about guys who were eligible and, and who we thought was going to be added. Right. We yeah, talk, we, we said, you know, we uh, kind of we we've done kind of our, our layout of, of of like these are the ones to know. Um, you know, you you have a really good article. My my one comment when I went through is you left Kevin Kelly out, not to throw you under the bus, but you have a really good preparation article. People should check out. Oh, from last season's picks, I did leave Kevin yeah. Kelly out. Ooh, yeah, that was so, a big big whoops. Not to Oops. not to call you out on the air, but everything else in that. Um, no, nope, call me out for that. Air. That was a boo boo. But uh, I meant to I meant to tell you privately, but I, I would also recommend just don't put it in the show notes. Go find his article if you want a more in-depth take on the rule five. Like we've we've covered it here on the show, the names to know, the ones we think are the closest. And, and as we hear more, maybe we'll give you more info. But I think we have that covered on, on the show. I think, you know, talking roster fodder is always is an interesting discussion and talking how this might go, because honestly, you know, we go back to a year ago. I remember sitting there in a staff meeting as I think the draft was happening. Uh, and I feel like I was in another staff meeting the day of when the roster finalizes because all those trades happened. It was a great day on the podcast because we we had a big bump in numbers because, you know, Carlos Vargas got traded. Nolan Jones got traded. I know it's OK. Um, I, I understand your pain. Uh, but like I, I wouldn't be surprised if, again, they approach this year as a way to um, if they're looking at trades again, ways to to operate around the the edges of the the roster to help get things down a little bit better, get yourself in a, a stronger position. Yeah. I mean, at this point, nothing shocks me on 
forty man roster because the what the one year, two years ago we had the the ill fitted junior Caminero deal. Last year was the Nolan Jones Juan Brito deal. So I you know never count out what the Guardians might do on what bad trade I'm, are they uh, going to make this year? <laughs> that is the one day that they should make no trades. Like that that trade is that day is a bad day for them in trades. It is. Well, hey, here's the thing. This year they don't have that roster crunch as we talked about. It's not it's not a situation where they are like a slight crunch. Desperately no. trying to find yeah. I mean, they, look, they got to make room for Daniel Espino right now. That's the thing we're wanting to talk about today was that so they're they're full of 40 after claiming Betancourt and Betancourt and they removed Gallagher and they there added is Bobby no back. Season injured list. So they had to add Bobby back. Right. Right. So they're full at 40 right now, which means they have to make at least one spot for for Daniel Espino. So I mean the easy call there is is Alfonso Rivas, right? Like you just DFA him, hope he gets their waivers and um you add Espino. Like I I he's gotta be the first guy in the chopping block, right? Because everybody else no, in terms I mean, of pure talent and what you want to do with them. Like everybody else is above him. Well, again, the, the one thing I will again, throw out there is 99 is going to cost close to 2 million with the other pieces they have in place. If they really like Michael Kelly with the young players that are coming up, um, he could be the one just due to money and spots and how much they're already going to have kind of invest in that bullpen, especially if they want to consider like if they've had any discussions with like, Hey, maybe we want to bring back Lopez or someone like that. Then having, 99 probably hurts your chances of bringing in a free agent reliever because that money isn't available. So there, there is a world where I think 99 or Michael Kelly could be up there as well. I feel like it's a, it's a three man group though. Every time I think they're going to cut Michael Kelly, they keep him. So I, I almost feel like it's 99 who they let just rot in the minors. Let's, let's be honest. They, he only came up because they had a dire need and um, Revis who it's very clear. The plan for him is, Hey, you're going to be here temporarily to see if we can pass you through later for depth. I'm not, I'm not cutting any of those guys over Rebus. Like my first, if to add a speed on my first option is Rebus. Cause as much as they did let Karen check rot in the minors for a little bit, because things just weren't going well and he lost velocity and all their stuff. And he can't hold runners. Like, yeah, I, I'm, if there's a world where you can move on from him and it, it wouldn't shock me if they do, and you have to be sure that you're going to go out and upgrade the bullpen in his oh, in his stead. I'd be fine with it. I mean, you could even argue like if you want a non-tender Karen check and you want to add Kate Smith to the 40 man roster for that move, I'm all for that too. Uh, yeah. But the first, the first guy in the chopping block to me has to be Revis. Like if I'm only getting one spot, if even let's let, let's say there's a world where Smith isn't added, I'm not, I'm not booting Karen check right now or Michael Kelly over Revis. Cause that just, there's no pathway. There's no there's no good pathway for Revis playing. If he plays, then things have gone very bad this year. Or the guy went to a hitting lab and just became Barry Bonds overnight. I, like that's the only way I could see that working. So I'm not cutting anybody else over Revis to add. He starts um, drinking. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not doing that. Sweet spot and non chase rate into some power. Yeah, I just there's I don't know if there's a baseball guy out there or a voodoo doll to make that work. So it's got to be Revis for me. And then you know they already added Rodriguez, obviously. So that's a spot that we were, you know, maybe on the I was I was more on the fence than you about what they would do there, but yeah. you know they did. So I can't see anybody else added but Smith. Like he's the last one I can see added. And and then at that point, 
then you've got to make it. I, I, I would, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a toss up for me between 99 and Michael Kelly because you can that save money. Is what makes it a toss up. Yeah, here's the other thing too. I, I don't want to. I don't want to throw cold water at any of this because people are gonna be like, "Well, I'm not listening to the rest of the offseason because you're pessimistic and there's no reason to get excited." But uh, we saw an article tonight from uh, the Twins beat reporter Bob Nightingale, son Bobby Nightingale, the Star Tribune. He was talking to Derek Falvey, and Derek Falvey said they expect the Twins to operate at a lower payroll in 2024 than 2023 because the TV money has ran out or it's running out. Cleveland is in a similar situation when it comes to TV money. So you're are you going to pay James Karen Shack 1.9 million because you're not going to pay Ronaldo Lopez 3 years and like 20 set. They're not I, I don't know. I, I think Lopez winds up being out of their price range. I just don't think they're going to do that as much as I would like to have him back. So if you're not going to, I just don't think they're going to have the money to do it. So you might as well hang on to Karen check and see if you can make a trade to upgrade that spot. I would probably go, I don't know. Are Kelly and are Kelly and Karen check talent wise at this point on a somewhat even plane? I mean, it does not seem like they are uh, in the, in the eyes of this organization in the way they're deployed. Maybe they'll trade. Maybe that'll, maybe that'll be the surprise on decision day as they, a trade James Karen check. Maybe trade. I mean, I, I think it would be logical, except for like, what are you like? Who who believes in that dude right now outside of people in our comments? Like, no one believed in him, or they probably would have traded him a year ago trying to get Max. I think everyone knew because again, he very idiosyncratic. You know, a player who was worried with the the pitch clock, a player who has been caught multiple times um, with some baseball doctor he was never he was never caught he was never okay, he wasn't caught. caught but i mean he was okay, accused right. let's let's be he, fair here he was he was he, accused never caught he did have massive massive drops every time they enforced things in terms of his Which, rate so while he's, he's never caught the data shows that, that worse, all of a sudden though? it changed doesn't that, doesn't that make it worse that he didn't get caught and his stuff still went down so it's like yeah, he's not doing anything illegal. Like it'd be better if if he got caught doing that stuff. Like, okay, well, I think so it just he adapted. He's not cheating. He well, I think he got afraid of being caught mm-hmm. cheating, and instead just like changed yeah. what he was doing. Here's like you know before I, we get out of here. Here's here's the move we probably should talk about. We we, we shouldn't talk about this late. Yeah. There were some legs to Daniel De Los Santos being traded at the trade trade deadline by the Guardians to mm-hmm. the Cubs. That deal never came to fruition. Uh, that's probably the trade we should be talking about at the trade at the 40 man deadline, right? Is that they move him? No. Yeah. I think that is definitely worth discussion, especially because I feel like uh, I think the Cubs are a, a sleeper for a, a few free agents. Everybody, not, not Tani, but uh, Yum, the, the top Japanese pitcher, which is they're right savages. Aaron Boone should go to the Cubs too. Cause the Cubs are yeah. savages right now. But uh, we want to thank you all for joining us, Savages, on the show today. We obviously would like to keep going, but we are out of time. Thank you for doing your part, joining us, uh, commenting, and having some fun. We will be covering all angles all offseason, so make sure you're tuning in daily. And go, go, Guardians.